Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Talk of the Terrace podcast. My guest on the show today will be Matt McGlone editor of the Alternative View fanzine and also the founder of the Self for Change movement which oysted the old board and gave way to Fergus McCann and the new regime at Celtic Park. I'm delighted to have uh, Matt McGlone joining me today on Talks on the Terrace. Uh, Matt, of course, former employee of Celtic when he wrote for the Celtic View after he was the driving force before the Self for Change. He walked alongside the likes of Fergus McCann within those walls of Celtic Park after a long campaign with the Rebels. He's also the Alternative View Editor, and thank you very much, Matt, for the latest issue. I enjoyed that. Um, and it's great to have another fellow fanzine editor on that. I suppose tough times for us fanzines, but all this modern technology. But, Matt, we survive, we're surviving this lockdown and we're still able to put the, the magazines out, which is great. Well done to you, and well done to me. Well, the, uh, yeah, I mean... In- it couldn't be done without all the valuable writers, obviously. Um, I mean, you've got a good set of writers and we've got a great set of writers as well. And uh, the guys that write in my magazine, I've known some of them for 30, 35 years. I've known other ones for three or four years. But it doesn't matter how long I've known them for, the dedication is 110%. The law thing printing. And um, it's difficult. It was, I felt it was important that the, the work was put out there and uh, you know a printed uh, magazine these days is difficult to work with as far as finances and um, other ways because people are you know using digital content but I always feel you know the genre of the printed fanzine is very important and uh, we're, we're sticking with that yeah a fair play just um, and it's, it is and I think it's an age thing as well Matt I think if you're from from my vintage anyway so we grew up with, with fanzines and although I did switch to a couple of digital fanzines over the lockdown, simply because 
uh, I used to go and pick them up. You know, if it wasn't in Glasgow, or even the likes of when Saturday comes, the magazine, I always used to pick that up once a month. But I couldn't, I couldn't even get to the news edges because it was outside me, me five k zone. So I had to go and get a digital copy of that. But it's funny, I, I, I don't read it as much. You know, when I, I would have read the, the magazine and cover the cover, but because they're all on the iPad now, when you go onto your iPad, there's so many distractions, social media, and you've. You know, if, if, if you've a book you bought or an audio book, there's loads, there's loads going on. But anyway, Matt, there's loads going on um, at Celtic. At a time when, you know, the players are off enjoying the holidays normally and we're normally taking time out as well. But it's just, um, you know, after the Champions League final, you know, me think, right, that's everything done now. There'll be international football, but take a few weeks away now. Don't bring a fans in and out until pre-season. But, if I can just go back to the Champions League last weekend, Matt, and a tweet you put out after, which caught, caught me eye. You, you wrote, Thomas Tuchel has Chelsea superbly organised to lift the Champions League. They removed, the, they removed the club legend mid-season and he was replaced by German, by the German two days later. Over 90 days for us and we still haven't replaced similar. We're seriously mismanaged by the PLC. Do you still stand by that? Oh, 100%. Um, the club are mismanaged at the moment. There's no doubt about it. They're taking the fans for granted. Um, we are seeing that cash cow. And um, there should never be a, a big disconnect, even between a PLC and its fans. But it's the PLC and a customer. That's what we are now. We're a customer. And uh, football is a life thing. You know, it gets your heart going, it gets your head racing. And uh, there has always been a connection between fan and club. And um, even in the old board days, as bad as they were, there was always some kind of connection. But nowadays, we just seem to be getting taken for granted. And uh, if we look at the shambolic situation of trying to appoint a manager, here we are, I think, 97 days, maybe more, uh, since Neil Lennon left the building. We've got no manager. Pre-season training starts in 16 days we've got no manager I mean if that is not gross mismanagement mishandling of the company I don't, I don't know what is I mean how there is no excuse for this no it's 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 very disheartening as well Ma, um, that we have the likes of the Sally Trust now who were aligned to the board for the, for the small shareholders as you say, you know, we're customers now, we're not fans, but as shareholders, if, if we have the more shares we have as as small shareholders, the, the bigger the say we have. But it just seems to be now that it's like, fuck it. You know, they're not listening to us. And and, and that is a sad state of affairs, Matt, because you go back a long time in, you know, force for we we are early fans, but then, you know, with the sales for change movement, which was which, which which was an amazing um, story, really, because you know from from you being called a hun at games to to what was what came out of that. But one thing was always from the sales for change was you know it was back the team, sack the board, and it's not a case of you know wanting to sack the board now, but a little bit of uh, communication would be a start, man. Well, you see, I think when the, the ordinary fan looks at the people that run the club and you see they're suited and booted, and if you met most of them, 
you probably wouldn't have a great conversation uh, about how you feel heart and soul about your club. And we always know, you always know you're a customer, but now you've been made to feel like a customer. I mean, we know in the background that they just want money from us. And you know, the way they put out this, the season book renewal last week there, you know, I think it said we can't guarantee you getting into the ground and uh, give us your money anyway. Now, we know the pandemic, everything's up in there. We know that there's no certainties. But try and make us feel at least as if that when we pay the money, that we're part of something happening, that we're part of a journey, that we're part of Celtic Football Club having a revival after such a disastrous fucking season, to be honest with you. It was an absolute shambles of a season from start to finish. Now, it could, the problems could have been addressed around about October, November, maybe. They could have been addressed at the turn of the year, but no action was taken. And I just find that Celtic PLC just sat back, watched it drift, watched it go, put Neil Lennon up for every single press conference that was going. you never see the PR guy. He should have been handling quite a lot of the questions that were asked of Neil. But Neil was put up there to answer every single thing. And the people in the club who have positions in PR and important positions to talk to fans, they hid under their desks. They never appeared. They disappeared. It looked like the entire bloody building was in furlough. Definitely, yeah. And like, it, it was kind of one PR disaster from another man. You know, it started from the Ballangoli thing and it just t- seemed to snowball. And instead of coming out maybe sometimes and defending the club or defending Neil Lennon, it, he, he just seemed to be left to do every press conference on his own and kind of take the brunt for maybe, I don't know, should it, should a head coach be coming out defending COVID? Should that not be the club doctor? or the CEO, you know, I just think that, you know, he, he was, he was, he was hung out to dry and he was made the scapegoat, even though on the pitch, you know, he, he is, he has to live and die by them results and he ultimately lost his job. Many would say it was too late, but, you know, and I never like to make anything personal, but it seems that Peter and, and those on the board you know, made a person to have Neil Lennon, push Neil Lennon out front the whole time. Yeah, he, he was. It should never have been that way. And uh, maybe Neil should have stood up and said, no, I'm only going to answer football questions. Um, every day in Scotland, we get a prime Min- uh, our first minister's uh, COVID update. And you have Nicholas Sturgeon answering certain questions. You then maybe have a, a, a police inspector or somebody on asking, answering questions about that. You then have Jason Leach on, who answers questions on medical things. Now, that's three people there talking about COVID. Neil Lennon was one person talking about everything to do with Celtic, yeah. every single thing. Where is the guy in the PR department? Why is he not out showing his face, doing his job, saying, this is the answer to that question. I'm qualified to do this. He cannot throw every single question at the manager because, believe me, so much is on that football club that a manager's got to deal with. All the different personalities in the playing squad, all the different things that say go on that need addressed every day. And, you know, you know, if you use an example, Lee Griffiths, by the manager's own words, 
turned up for pre-season training at the start of the season, wasn't fit, wasn't fit, wasn't taken on the pre-season tour because he wasn't fit. And Neil Lennon said he wasn't fit. Now, Lee played sporadically through the year and it never seemed to get fit. If he wasn't fit in August, he wasn't fit in April or May. So there's all these things that the manager's got to deal with, various other things. And I just think so many people who have responsibilities for certain jobs at a big football club, this is a massive club, massive. And yet the manager has to answer everything. You know, you, you refer to a tweet there after the Champions League final there. You know, Frank Lampard is a club legend that Chelsea, um, that's nothing to do whether we like them or not. It's a fact. And uh, Neil Lennon is a club legend at Celtic. And yet, when it was time for Frank Lampard business and obviously paid on what he was brought in, a new manager two days later. Now, you know yourself, when Neil taking all the flack and things aren't going right on the park, he gets the blame for everything. He gets the blame for absolutely everything. And it wasn't working out under Neil. It was a real shame he is a club legend. But what happened during that period as we went through the season was that Neil, his, his sort of legendary status get tarnished a wee bit. It'll come back. It'll definitely come back. And people sort of look back and think it wasn't all Neil's fault. It was Neil's fault that the team weren't playing well because he's the manager, ultimately. But um, when John Kennedy came in, things never changed. Never changed a thing. The players never changed, never gave youth a chance. And so it was uh, John Kennedy, it was Neil Lennon Mark II. So then you ask yourself, where is the real problem here? Where is the real problem? Because nothing changed from one guy to the next guy. And I think, you know, it was a shame that Neil's um, his image was tarnished because he was left in the position. Frank Lampard wasn't left in that position. He was looked after, left the building, and they brought in a new guy. Neil was out there the whole time and his results went from bad to worse. He took the black from everything. And a lot of it was justified, absolutely. But you don't let your legends get tarnished like that. You look after your club legends and you look after the football club and you look after the team and you make sure that things are done properly and they were at Celtic from the start of the season to the end. Yeah, I've 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 contacted the, the Celtic and I've asked them who's in charge of football matters. Is John Kennedy still in charge of his backroom staff? And it's not a double barrel, you know, um question. It's just, you know, someone has to be in charge because we as you say, we're now sixteen days away from pre season. And so who is running? You know, who is preparing us for the Champions League qualifier? Who is preparing us for pre-season? Who has selected where we go for pre-season? Well, thank God it's not Dubai. They're only going to Wales. So, you know, we probably won't be having more COVID stuff as well, but, you know, all the vaccines and that now coming in. So slowly we will get back to normality, Matt, when we get back into full stadiums, there's nothing. But wouldn't it be great if the club came out and said, Eddie Howe didn't walk. It didn't walk out. We are now interviewing you know, they don't have to name them, but we now have a, have a list of candidates. And in the meantime, John Kennedy has full control of the football department because, you know, Nick Hammond's gone, Neil Lennon's gone. So, you know, it looks like 
the first team coach from last season, from the start of last season, is now in charge of all football matters. Peter's leaving the building, but he's obviously still in charge because I think he doesn't officially leave till the middle of this month. So the new CEO, is he shadowing him? No, we haven't been told what his role is while he's waiting for Peter to leave. I just I just feel that, you know, like it's it's as if, you know, we, we'll hide here and we'll say nothing and it'll go away. But it's not going away. It's getting worse. And fans are getting angrier. Season boot tickets are out now. People are, there's family split over who's renewing. You know, you shouldn't renew, you should renew. And people will fall out and the fans are as divided now as they ever were, Matt. And that's a shame. Yes, it's a shame. It's a real shame. And the thing is, the PLC, I don't think, care about that. I don't think they care. Fans are arguing. They just want to do what they do and don't seem to look after the welfare of the knock-on effect of what's happening. Fans argue with each other. I don't get it at all. As far as um, signing players, you know, been in this business 31 years now. I know I don't look that old. I was <laughs> <laughs> just thinking that, man. You're like Cliff Richard. <laughs> Keep taking the tablets. <laughs> oh, Jesus. If I wasn't red enough with the sun, I am um, no. no, so what I was going to say was, I've been in this business 31 years now and I've had contacts, same contacts for that time, of people who would know what's going on. And one of them told me today that seven out of ten players that the club had identified as becoming in the new season were quite far down the line with Eddie Howe because Celtic were so confident of what happened with Eddie Howe. Now, we'll probably never find out the real reason why Eddie Howe didn't come, but the club did leak out, absolutely leaked out information about the reason he didn't come was because he apparently couldn't put his backroom staff together. The club leaked that out to various fan outlets now, that for me, you could never argue against you no know, fans being told first. But the way it was done is what here's the message, carry this message. You know, he didn't come because he couldn't assemble his team from Bournemouth or whatever was happening. That was leaked out to the to various fan outlets, several. And uh, then when it hit social media, that became the story. So that was quite cleverly done by Celtic if you look at it that way. But for me, it's a wee bit sinister. You don't buy in. It's everything you don't get used, you must retain your, you must retain your independence as a publication, whether it's printed, whether it's visual, whether it's digital. And I just find that a wee bit disturbing the way that was done. Um, massive mistake. I mean, whatever the reason was, Eddie Howe didn't come. There's a bottom line here, which is more important than that, and that is you gave that guy over 10 weeks to hang on in there with nothing in writing, obviously, 10 weeks on his word that he'd be coming and bringing his background team. Now, I have to say, if it was me doing the negotiations here, I'd be saying, Eddie, well, hang on the 10 weeks. Is there a cast-iron guarantee here that your assistants are going to come? Because don't turn around week 10 after we've waited, that's two and a half months, and tell us that the guys are not coming, because that would just make Celtic look amateur hour. But that's what happened. So why was that conversation not solidified? Why was that not put in stone that that would definitely be happening 10 weeks ago? Why do we find out at the death 16 days before pre-season starts? The whole thing is a shambles. 
And it's meant to be businessmen on the PLC board. <laughs> what kind of businessmen do that? I mean, if it wasn't for the fans putting the money into the club, if you're in a, if you're in a company like that, that wasn't dependent on absolutely faithful supporters paying up every year, and the fans will pay up this year as well. There's a grumbling on at the minute, but I, I'll renew my season ticket because I love going. And, you know, my, my grandson goes now. One of my sons goes. Sorry, two of my sons go. My daughter goes. Um, you know, we, we're into the whole Celtic package. But I think with that, and like any other fan who's renewed a season book, I think we have to be treated with respect. I think we have to be shown a wee bit of, you are part of the, the thing. You are the Celtic family. The Celtic family are the people that you and I. Celtic family are the people who go and see Celtic, who pay money, who buy the strips, who buy the season tickets. That's the Celtic family. I think we need a bit more respect. Yeah, I think I think uh, respect is a word. And another word, Matt, is emotional. And we are so emotionally connected to the club that when you say your season book, like we have a WhatsApp group for the club because we can't hold meetings anymore and that. And our support is based, you know, 80% will be based around Ireland, but we'd have 20% of boys in Glasgow and, and we have a few lads based in Germany. But 99% of that, and I, and I said it when I had Eddie on last week, I says, now, 99% of, of those people have made their mind up long before the season finished. They're, they're, like they're saying, yeah, we're renewing because coming near the end of the season, before the renewals come out, the chairman of the club you know, put on the, can everybody message me if they're taking their season book next year or if they want to share a book or they want to give their book up? Because with 120 season book holders, that's a lot of admin for him, you know, for himself and, and, and the, the secretary to do. And like... And they, all you can see is, oh yeah, I can't wait to get back. Can't wait to get back. You know, see everybody. So not only is it the normal emotional attachment you have to Celtic, but you know, you're now emotional about getting back with your mates, going to pub after the game with your mates, getting on a bus with your mates, getting on the boat and seeing the other supporters clubs, going to the airport, checking in queuing up with other people. That's a whole big emotional thing now for people because it's been taken away from them for almost 18 months. And yeah. like, like if Celtic are playing on them emotions, you know, it's, it's, it's really, there's really something rotten to the core in that boardroom. And it needs, it needs seriously to be out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, emotional is the word. You know, I wrote a book 26 years ago called Emotionally Celtic. Very good book as well, I read it on a beach in Spain. Thanks very much. And it took me uh, three seconds to work out the title. I wrote the book and halfway through the book I'm, I'm thinking, what am I going to call this book? And it just kept coming to me, Emotionally Celtic. Easy, dead easy, because that's what it is. There's no fancy wrapping and ribbon on this. It's emotional. It's as simple as that. And when somebody is emotionally wrapped into something, if you want to use, say, the PLC board, they'll look and go, that's guaranteed money. That's guaranteed money. If you shop at Aldi or Morrison's or, or Safeway or uh, Asda, they're all fighting for your money. You can buy a loaf in any one of those shops. You can buy a steak in any one of those shops. But only at Celtic do you, are you guaranteed the money. And that's the difference in running a type of business like this. When you know there's an emotional attachment, 
As you say, we've been separated. We've been almost locked up in our own houses. Um, people are not meant to live like that. People are, people are human beings. They're not meant to live locked up. And yet we've managed to get through this. And we've lost a lot of people. We've all lost friends. It's horrible. But we've managed to survive. You and I are sitting here. And I'm probably not the same guy I was 15, 16 months ago. I'm probably a bit off the wall. <laughs> Just because of, you know, you can't function in the same way you could. You can earn the same. You can go to your work. You can see your family. You can see your grandkids. Going for a walk was a major thing. We're just not meant to be as people locked up. And the Celtic fans were not meant to be as supporters separating from each other. You know yourself, I've known you a long, long time. We go to the games, we see my pals. You see people that are not even in your head. Oh, hi, how you doing? I've seen you for ages. But you know where you're going to see them. And you know that there's a warmth there. If you climb up the stairs, we are pine a bottle to your seat. You pass people, how you doing? How's it going? That's all a big makeup thing. Of, of your day. It's part of your being there at Celtic. That's all been stripped away from us. I just hope, <laughs> I mean, I've got to agree with you. I'm sitting here saying I hope that I'm not taking this, you know, advantage of that emotional link. But is there any evidence to say that that's not the case? No, like, like if you look back, you know, last week's, you know, first of all, um, the trust announced a statement to say that the board hadn't gone for the, the shared option that they had suggested. Then, and I firmly believe this, I firmly believe that Eddie Howe's backroom team, who was coming in, were leaked. Uh, and maybe it wasn't, you know, from the top of the club, but certainly there was people at Celtic were able to leak out who was going to be the backroom team and when it was coming. We then had the season book announcement, which without a manager was a very, very strange thing. Um, and we, we were told we, we were getting a £50 voucher. Um, and then that was Wednesday. Then Thursday was Koi, as we waited for Eddie Howe to be announced to the stock market and then to the fans. And then on Friday, we have the bombshell that you know, Eddie Howe was going to come, but, you know, one of, one of, one of his backroom teams, wife doesn't want to move up, so the deal's off, you know. Now, did he ever want to come? I don't I don't think he did, because if he did, he certainly wouldn't be waiting for, you know, someone from his backroom team to come, unless, you know, he was, he was the, he's the, greatest, the greatest coach in the world. But that was a week, man. That's only a week out of the season we've had. After the season, that's a week. And like, could you pick any more Peter disasters out of that? No. And then we become the, you know, our stock, you know, our stock just fell. We we became the laughing stock, you know. And at a time, you know, when we we witnessed such a bad season, we you know, we've lost all our, all our silverware. We had a terrible European campaign. We've lost our manager. We've players that didn't seem interested and then to top it all off with a manager we've been expecting to come for months and months and I might add Matt in the back of our mind we were going 
well, maybe Eddie Howe's in place and he's walking on, he's looking at, you know, he's got the preseason sorted and he's got the players identified he wants to keep. He's got the players he wants identified. And you're saying, so, and, and hopefully they've also identified a director of football and he's walking alongside him. And then we find out that, no, there's nothing happening. That it looks like, you know, John Kennedy is in charge of football matters. And I'm not personalising yeah. against John Kennedy, but that's all That's all it looks like. Yeah, so for 10 weeks, it was a void. For 10 weeks, at the most crucial point in your season, when you've lost everything, you have to regroup. And as far as I know, Eddie Howe had, advent- had identified several players. He had identified seven, he had identified 10 apparently. And seven of those chats and proposed deals were quite far down the line. So where did the deals go now? If you're the player and you were coming, part of the reason you were coming because it was Eddie Howe, what are you thinking now? Well, I'll tell you what they're thinking. They must be completely bamboozled because they're not thinking it's not Eddie Howe, it's other guy. But we don't actually have another guy yet. As we speak on June the 1st, we don't have another guy. Now, if Ange doesn't work out, you said last week was a joke. If it doesn't work out with the lad in, um, in Japan, then where do we go? You know, it, it is, there should be a process here where people are interviewed for the job and I believe that uh, when you go and look for a manager in such a huge club like Celtic, you should have at least three options in the file. And you don't give the option number one, I'm sure he was, um, 10 weeks to decide whether he's going to come. And a question that could have been asked in week one, you absolutely sure, Eddie, that your assistants are up to this? They're going to leave a nice cosy number down the south coast and come up here and and take on the, the battle that we have for next season. You sure about that, Eddie? Yeah, 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 I'm sure, yeah. I don't think they were sure. I think Eddie's probably quite soft-centred. And, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, there's been three quite serious incidents involving you know, Celtic personnel. The situation with Peter Lowell's house being uh, set on fire. The situation with Neil Lennon being abused in the street and being attacked. Um, the situation with Brendan Rogers uh, having his, uh, his house broken into when his wife was in the house, apparently. Now, if you're living down the south coast and you're a wee bit marshmallow-centred, <laughs> you're thinking twice. You know, you're, you're thinking twice about coming up to Celtic, aren't you? You know, your wife is saying, I quite like it here, you know. What are we going up there for? And, uh, you know, I, I think that was a big part of it. But the thing is, Celtic should have sussed that. If you're talking to somebody as far back as over 10 weeks ago, you should, you don't need to be a psychologist, but you should be able to work out how that guy's thinking. Is he tough enough for this job? Is he really up for it? You meet people every day in the street when you have a conversation with them. And you know they're not really up for whatever they're talking about. Celtic <laughs> should have sussed out whether anyhow was up for this or not. I, I think it's Andrew, I think it's completely amateur hour that such an easy thing to work out hasn't been worked out all these weeks ago. And you eventually get the carpet pulled from under your feet on week 10. I'm I'm speechless for once. <laughs> Now you were in the club, Matt. Unlike unlike most of us, you 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 did walk within those red brick, that lovely red brick um, front of the stadium. You walked through those doors to walk. Now you've seen some managers coming in. Now when Tommy left, 
the, the late great Tommy Bones left, um, there was a gap with, with um, Wynn coming in. He came in, he didn't really have a preseason, didn't have the best of starts. He went on and he stopped. He stopped the 10, you know, last day of the season, the drama of that season. Like, should, like, so you would have seen the walk that was going on behind the scenes to get a manager in place as quickly as possible. So, but Tommy, you know, Tommy didn't leave till the end of the season. Where, where was, where was the club then, Matt? Um, okay, the stadium was built. You know, Fergus was was well in charge. Um, and I, had, I spoke to David Lowe and David Lowe said that Fergus would, would make the right decision for the club and he would let the PR department deal if there was a fallout, which the PR department don't seem to be dealing with the fallouts from this season. But he, he wouldn't let accountants be involved in the football side of things, which seems to be what's happening at the club now. So, like... I, I know you haven't got like like a crystal ball to, and you don't know what's going on in Celtic Park but we're only guessing and we're hearing whispers what was it like back then you know just to give the the listeners or the viewers just uh, just a taste of the pressure of getting someone in place in which was going to be a momentous season <clears throat> well I, I think that um, people do different things different ways um I never ever had any insight as to when Janssen came into Milton between the period of Tommy not being there. Um, Fergus was very much a... Any time I bumped into Fergus, I bumped into Fergus five times in five years. And I think each conversation lasted 20 seconds. That's over five years. Um, because he was always a very busy guy and uh, he was always walking about Milton with uh, a big load of files under his arm with things to do. He was uh, so focused on doing what's right for Celtic that when you get the tabloids in Scotland involved in that, they've got agendas going. A lot of people were turned against Fergus um, because of the way the tabloids put uh, stories together. He's not doing this. He's not giving the money for that. There's always problems. <laughs> Let me tell you, the reason I'm not working at Celtic, I left with a contract still to run. I didn't take a hit of that contract left because the politics in that building were absolutely stifling. People that know me, friends of mine, people that are still in that building, there won't be many, many, know the reasons I left. And um, the politics could choke you, absolutely choke you. I, I couldn't work there anymore. I, I couldn't work in that environment anymore. My brain wasn't operating I was getting depressed. I was getting apprehensive. There's individuals in the Celtic newsroom who shouldn't even be in the building and they make people's lives a misery. Some of them are still there today. Anyway, that's a side issue. Back to Fergus. Fergus did everything for the right reasons, for the right reasons for Celtic. And sometimes when you do things for the right reason, they're not always the popular reason. They're not the reason that you might want to hear. But that's the way it goes. And uh, I, I just think what has happened with Celtic not over the last 10 weeks, but over the last 14 months, um, you know, the start of part of last season and the end of the season before, 
we took our eye off the ball. We were complacent. We thought we didn't have to do this, we didn't have to do that. I think uh, we were a bit arrogant. When I say we, I mean, it's not really we because I feel it was the board and we're not the board. But um, I think the board were quite arrogant that uh, 10 was going to roll in. And when it was quite obvious it was becoming that 10 was in danger and then it getting more dangerous as the season went on. And then there was a realisation that we're not going to do 10. The fans' anger was an absolute maximum. It was an absolute peak. The board sat back, watched fan on fan, and, and did nothing about it. Did nothing. I don't mean do nothing about it. To I don't mean appease them. They're not there to appease fans. They're there to make the right decisions, make critical decisions at the right time. Nobody in that board made a proper decision at any point during last season. And uh, go back to Neil, his image as a, as a club legend was slightly tarnished, but that will come back for Neil. That will definitely come back. He'll be remembered as a club legend when the anger subsides. Remember, people were very angry because he was the guy who was in charge of the team. And remember, these people were very angry, myself and you and all of us, um, because we saw the 10 slipping away. And that was a tragedy. This season, we should have been 10 in a row champions. And there's a no, an awful lot of reasons why we're not. And they're all down to the way Celtic are run. And action not being taken at the right time. Yeah, Matt. Um, you know, you say 10 in a row. And, you know, an easier route to the Champions League, which which we haven't been in in a while. We, we have a, you know, whoever comes in or doesn't come in, Whoever's in charge has a mammoth job, and I hope they've got magic dust or magic wand because the, the, the Champions League route is, is 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 you know as as young Liam Kelly said on Twitter recently, he said like he says he says if you get through that groups them three sets of games, he says you should be looking to win the Champions League. That's how hard it's going to be, and then like the champions of next season. Get automatic qualification into the Champions League, man, which is which is a massive for anything. And if the team across the the city would get that, not only have we given them a leg up, we've helped them to get back on their feet. But and and that's and, and that's shameful. That we we should you know we should be sticking the boot in you know instead of giving them a helping hand up. And, and that's the, that's just the way I feel. And finally, Matt Roy, I'm going to try and pronounce him because I'm going to have to learn his name, maybe. Andrzej Postekalu, is that how you pronounce him? I can't, you know. You've you got that written down in front of you. I have, yeah, I have. You've got that written in front of you. I have, it's easy. I've also got attack and defence, which is easier to say. Andrzej Postekalu, I see. Why is that called him, Andrzej? Tomo was on, um, Tomo was on, on Sky Sports on, on Saturday. I think it was Saturday. And uh, he said, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. And I said, well, fair play to Tamil. But, like, this guy, we never heard of, you know. And people are saying, oh, we never heard of William Janssen. I think people did hear of William Janssen. But, so, in fairness to Mick Kane that, that writes for us, um, Mick went off and, you know, and contacted the Australian journalist. I went and, you know, contacted Scott McDonald. We went and tried to get, rather than, because... All we could get was Wikipedia and a couple of Google things. And we tried to get, you know, someone that is watching them, contacted the mate I have in Japan and he, he put us on, he put us on 
to a journalist, which we didn't get, but Mick ended up getting another one. And, and fair play because, and what's come out of that is the saying, you know, this guy has, you know, three plans, attack, attack, attack. And I'm saying, oh no, oh, we, we need someone that can teach to defend us, how to defend the set piece. Because, like, attack, attack, attack is great, but, you know, it's not going to work in Europe. You need a plan B. And sometimes, maybe this is we didn't have a yeah. plan B, you know, mm-hmm. but it's great. Look, if he does come in and he has the, and everything they say about him is, and he has, the, but the only thing is, he, he won't have time. You know, he had a season in Japan to build that team up to go and win the league for the first time in 15 years. In a competitive league, Matt, there's, like, there's seven or eight teams compete for the title over there. It's not like here where it's a two-hours race or down in England where there's maybe three teams, four teams. But I just think that like every manager comes in has to have a plan B and that plan B has to be able to defend. Well, I was reading a piece today on the new manager and um, the fans over in Yokohama and uh, Japan said it was fantastic. His attacking style was great. The team were really effervescent. They were adventurous. They were marauding. And the games ended up 4-4. It was brilliant. The The game ended up 4-2. It was brilliant. The game ended up 3-2. It was brilliant. And I'm going, wait wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, I don't like the the amount of goals you're conceding. That's the style of play. Now, everybody knows we need an entire new defence. We need an entire new defence. You know, don't because the panel's going, you know, who are we left with? You know, Greg Taylor has been okay and a wee bit iffy here and there. Um, you know, we're, we're not off well off for full-backs, we're not well off for centre-backs. We need a whole new defence. So, good teams. Always, I remember Martin O'Neill always saying, I used to go to the press conferences when Martin O'Neill was there and sometimes there would be a wee chap with Martin off the record and he would always say, great teams start with a strong defence. And you look at the players that he brought in there, big centre-backs, no messing. They would run through a wall. You know, you look at them all, you know, Baldy, Valharan, Yalby, all these guys, big centre-backs. We, we've got a soft centre. And if you don't build from the back, then it doesn't matter how much nice works are in midfield or how many chances you put away up front. If you don't keep the back door shut, all that works done it, yeah. it means nothing yeah Martin O'Neill there Matt just before we go uh, 21 years ago he came in and he said um, he stood in the steps outside the front door of Celtic Park he said I'm going to do everything possible make this club a success or something to those boards and he took us on some journey and he saw in some players and like it just it seems like it, when we look at this season now even though we've been on a great journey nine in a row quadruple travels you know, but you know, I just would love if if someone could come out onto them steps and give us the lift next week that we need that Martin O'Neill gave us. You know, because he and he he did everything he said he was going to do. Yeah, he did. Uh, Martin was a guy who knew exactly what he wanted, and uh, had a couple of run-ins with Martin. Um, <laughs> I haven't got time to tell you just now but there was one in pre-season that I was sent over to do work on when Tommy Burns the late great Tommy Burns was 
taken the uh, the team for Martin came in. We were over in Copenhagen in the training ground, and uh, prior prior to Martin coming in, Celtic had lost the league by twenty odd points, and I had written as I always write the way it is, write a fan's point of view. Um, I'm not going to be stifled, um, and I just said it like it is. And the reason Martin came in is because we were 20, 21 points behind, so things had to change. Anyway, the players had went on strike and with the Celtic media, Celtic view, because of me, and made my life absolutely hell. And uh, I was set over to do interviews. And uh, one particular interview I was doing at the side of the training park with Lugo Maravchik was uh, rudely interrupted by Stephen Mahi, who walked in and interrupted the interview, spoke in French, to, uh, to Lubo and uh, Lubo got up and walked away mid-interview when I was there to earn a living and, and do work and um, I said to Lubo what about the interview and he said I have to go with my friend I never forget him saying that and uh, Mahi was a, a strange character I remember getting back to Glasgow Airport a lot press you know, the Celtic people and whoever flew back in a separate plane from the team you wouldn't believe it. The team plane landed at the same time. And all the cars in Glasgow Airport, my car was right next to Lupo's car. And uh, Mahi was with him. And they get out and they put the trolley in front of my car just to annoy me. So that I'd have to get out of my car when they two had drove away and moved the trolley so I could fucking move my car. So I was putting up with all that kind of stuff. Cut, cut long story short, back to Martin when the interviews were disrupted, Martin uh, met me. He said, uh, I was told to go back to the team hotel, uh, which was 30 miles in Copenhagen, so Radisson in Copenhagen. I was told to go back there and sit about doing nothing all afternoon until Martin came in that night and took the team uh, for dinner. And he wanted to find out what was going on. And uh, then Martin had said he'd come and see me at uh, half past seven. So I was to travel 30 miles back to the training grounds outside Copenhagen um, to speak to Martin at half seven. And uh, Ian Jameson, the Celtic PR guy, <laughs> okay, um, he uh, said to me, oh, Martin can't speak to you. And I said, I, I said, hang on a minute. I said, hang on a minute. I had an interview I was then sent 30 miles back to the hotel telling me that Martin and Neil can't speak to me. Well, I'm staying here until Martin comes in. I said, I'm not getting back. You're not doing that to me. And uh, Martin came down and he had words with me about the players. And where, we found, where I personally found a level with Martin was when I said, well, what I'm doing as a fan is I'm writing how things went. We ended up 20 points behind. And I have to write that. I'm a supporter. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That's what happened. And if you look at it this way, Martin, that's the reason you're here, to change that. So what I wrote was the truth. And Martin had said a few other words to me. But he then said, do you want Budweiser? And that was Martin and I sorted after he sorted me out. <laughs> See, good, good Irish, good Irish man, good Glasgow man. You know, I'll sort it out over a beer. You know, 
Well, you know, when, when I stayed my peace and I stood up, uh, stood up for myself, he realised it. But I did see Martin's point of view. He, he didn't want a group of unhappy players and this meddling fan, me, saying it like it is. Well, I'm sorry. If you don't say it like it is, what's the point? Yeah. That's the point. The point is I left Celtic and I left my contract early and never took a halfpenny of what was left in that contract just so I could get out of the building. I was I was feeling that low to get out of the building. Well, I, should Matt, never, I should never have been put in that position. And Matt, you're feeling as low now as ever did Boston Celtic. Well, the thing about Celtic Andrews, you and I and every fan know there ain't no middle ground. No. It's high up there in the sky, but it's right down there. That's where Celtic take you. It's great. It's brilliant. We do it. And Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. And hopefully um, we'll get you back on talk from the terrace again because it's been lovely to talk to you. Um, I said the last time you were on the podcast, hopefully the next time we'll be talking will be in person. But hey-ho, it, it wasn't to be. I think that was last August, Matt. Um, and if anyone wants to hear that podcast, I can't think of the episode, but it's in the lobby. So if you just or if you just type in Matt McGowan, Salic Soul podcast, you'll find that. And you get great insight into Matt's life fully in Celtic and life outside Celtic as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, folks, just please hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening on the podcast, don't forget to follow us. And thank you very much. Matt, all I can say is thanks again. Folks, thanks very much for listening. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFanzine.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a pint. Don't forget to visit Celtic Fanzine TV on YouTube and hit that subscribe button. And thank you so much for all the support and thank you for listening and reading. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 